Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests. Hi, I'm your host, Gail Sylvia, and you're watching Sylvia Global Media Network. My special guest this morning is a lovely friend and an incredible woman um, named Jackie Zayner. Jackie, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks, How are you? here. Good to see you. Jackie Zayner is most known um, to many of us in the world for this historical accomplishment of being the first female trader and the youngest woman to be made partner at Goldman Sachs. What a lot of people may not know about Jackie is that she's a superwoman on many other fronts as well. She's the wife of a pastor, the mother of two, and she's also the CEO of an organization called Women Moving Millions. Um, she's very actively involved and committed to the role of women in media and supports organizations such as Sundance, among many other wonderful super accomplishments. She's a super lady with a very generous heart. And Jackie, I'm really glad that you and I get to have a conversation this morning around some of the issues affecting women and girls that are important to you. Right. Where are you? Where are you today? I, well, I'm in my home in Park City, Utah. How's the weather there? Well, it's been really rainy, I have to say, but it cleared up, and generally speaking, any day in Park City is a good day. Any day, every day. Hey, Jackie, you're a pastor's wife. How do you balance that role as being a pastor's wife and the expectations associated with a congregation, with your other personal and business um, callings and passions? You know, it's interesting, Gail Sylvia, that my husband was also a partner at Goldman, so his role as a pastor is a second career for him as well. And so he's not as active now in Park City as he was in our uh, previous location, which was Park City, Utah. So, I, you know, it was interesting. I wasn't a full-time pastor, so I think in that way it was a little easier for me, but it's a highly visible role, mm -hmm. and I, of course, of course, I'm a very strong-willed feminist uh, woman. Uh, so, no. as the nature of the community, yeah, that we were a part of, Jack. it actually worked out great. Yeah, when I wore my Wonder Woman costume, sometimes I took a little <laughs> bit of slack. But you know, other than that, it was really wonderful. We had such a great community where he was a long-term pastor, as mentioned in New Canaan, Connecticut. And uh, generally speaking, you know, it's great. I think we're in you know, kind of in the spectrum, religious spectrum, uh, even though I, my husband is a very Bible-based guy and just uh, very much a theologian, he's also fairly progressive in terms of, you know, his values and his interpretations of uh, the gospel and, you know, faith-related issues. So generally speaking, I might challenge him a little bit and he pushes me back a little bit when maybe I'm a little too much on the wild side, but I think it's a, we're a good match. Jackie, are you? How do you find um, women of faith who are also women of wealth in terms of financial accomplishments? Um, wealth can be defined in so many um, variety of ways. Um, being such multi-dimensional 
creations that we creatures that we are. Um, how have you found the faith community of women of wealth to be shifting through the years and through generations, or do you see a shift at all? You know, that's that's an interesting question, and I don't know if I've thought about it that much. I mean, I've been very fortunate to find so many women that both share my faith and share my passion for justice and for peace and for gender equality. And it's nice to know that we have that in common. And for me, that's what anchors uh, all the work that I do and why I That being said, respectfully, that's not true for everyone. And I think the the space that I travel in women's philanthropy, people from a variety of faith-based backgrounds and perspectives, you know, we were trying to find, I think, the common ground, and that being around social justice and gender equality issues. But I lean pretty heavily on my friends, uh, too, you know, that really, you know, share a faith perspective. And when times get tough, and they often do, you know, that's, that's for me what really holds it together. What are some of the biggest challenges that you um, find are facing women and girls today that you're experiencing, you know, in contemporary, in current events that you're also experiencing at a personal level? Yeah, that's, again, just a wonderful question. I mean, the, the issues I care about are so big. I mean, I care about issues and economic justice and general peace of the world and and it's just it's so big sometimes it gets overwhelming and in terms of some of the issues that are closest to my heart at the moment I have to say I've been really concerned and overwhelmed with the epidemic of rape and violence in our society involved with a very important film called The Invisible War which looked at the epidemic of rape in the military that was a film that came out a couple of years ago at Sundance and has since become uh, just very uh, powerful in terms of changing policies. And now I'm, I'm looking uh, at getting involved in another film that really looks at the epidemic of rape on college campuses. So I've just been immersed in a lot of the statistics that I've seen and as a mother of both a 16-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl that are soon to be going to college and are growing up in a society where it seems sex is everywhere and pornography is everywhere and violence is everywhere. It, it's, it's something that's just really close to me, not because it's in self-interest, and it is, but just more broadly, I just, uh, I think our culture is one that is you know, there's a lot more going on around sexual assault and even how we approach relationships and what we want from them. And I, I think it's very different than when I was growing up, and it's an issue that's really on my heart. How do you um, instill your values on, in a practical level with your children? Is it through conversation around the dinner table? Is it through texting one another when they're in their bedroom upstairs and you're at a meeting? You know, how do you communicate and conveying this sense of value and what's important um, on multiple levels with your own children? Yeah, it's it's a constant question that both my husband and I have with each other. I mean, we were really fortunate in the sense that we are both partners at Goldman and have now have careers that have a lot more flexibility, Greg, Greg being primarily in a pastoral role and me with a philanthropic role. So. We're really blessed to have a lot of time with our kids, and thankfully so far they really like spending a lot of time with yeah. us. 
so, you know, we have, you know, the faith perspective with Greg being a teacher. We try to anchor a lot of our values, you know, in the um, that being said, it's just a constant dialogue. And my son has a, a high propensity for video games. I mean, given choices, he would probably do that uh, 10 hours a day. So a lot of conversations about what he's playing and why and violence and how does that compare with the real world. And, and yeah, it's, it's just a constant conversation. But to me, the most important thing is really being present in your children's lives, and we're very fortunate. And I have the most amazing husband on the planet that's well, so have, deeply I committed. Do. <laughs> no, I do. I do. No, I do. I do. No, I, do. I, do. <laughs> I, I do. I do. I do. They do um, exist. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a partnership, and you know, we we talk all the time about raising good children. And there was this great, actually, a uh, uh, Jewish theologian sort of asked this question to ask of your to your children, which I thought was great to ask them what they would say. To your, so you're talking to your child and ask your child, do you think it's more important to us that you are successful or good or happy? It was a three, successful, good, or happy. And I thought that was such a profound question. And in dialogue with our kids about it, thankfully they gave the answer that we were like, oh, please say good, please say good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just you realize it's just the, the course of your life with their lives and the million things you know every you know every day that come up and how you handle it and how you're setting a good example and all I can say is I'm certainly not perfect I've made so many mistakes with my kids but you know I hope at the end of the day you know that they grow up to be really good kids that you know value especially what I think is our core value which is serving others how do they get involved in your philanthropy and teaching them the importance of the philanthropic work that you're doing and finding what's important to them philanthropically. Yeah, that's also been a journey. I mean, over the course of our time, I mean, again, it's with the 16 and 13-year-old, it's lots about sort of the checks, you know, where we put money, though, of course, they've had a hand in that. It's more sort of where they get hands-on. So we did a wonderful project uh, back in Connecticut where we actually both gave money and volunteered to a senior center that treated patients with dementia, and we would go there every single week and do something special for uh, the residents there. Um, to now, much more, Matt, you know, Matt just came back from a community service trip that he really picked that was in Peru and Ecuador combined with the language immersion program. And we do things locally uh, in, term, in terms of Park City. And actually, my daughter and I, which I, I know is true for many communities, but it's going to be brand, brand new for us here in Park City, is we're going to do the National Charity Week together, which involves, you know, a lot of community building with mothers and daughters and community service. So, you know, I think for us it's a lot doing things together. That's uh, And then over time, hopefully, you know, they do have a give jar, which they have to give out of their personal resources to charities of their choosing. But really focus on hands-on experiences. Hey, Jackie, well, you mentioned earlier uh, the how you've immersed yourself in this area and this major concern associated with women and rape and reference to the video games. Do you see movement happening around women and girls' empowerment associated with the video gaming industry? 
you know, again, my my son and I debate this at length. I mean, boys uh, and young men and older men, you know, way outnumber girls and women in terms of playing, especially video games that one might say are the popular um, first-person type games. Uh, so, you know, it is primarily male audience. Uh, last year, actually, I was at TED, and I listened to a woman, oh, gosh, I'm uh, Anika, blah, 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 that yeah. has this organization called Femme Frequency, and she gave a TED Talk, or she gave put something online on Kickstarter, excuse me, to try to raise money for re, um, to look at the issue of how women are represented in video games, especially some of the extreme games like uh, I think it's Grand Theft Auto and things like that that are super violent and highly sexualized. And the video game community or certain people in the community totally came after her. I mean, threatening her life. I mean, hacking her accounts, posting pictures of her being beaten up and raped. I mean, it was so extraordinary um, that it was just beyond my ability to process. So I had my son actually watch the TED Talk about that, and we had a great discussion, and he did a lot of research around it. And uh, from my perspective, I really see there's a problem. Um, kids opt into games, so you can pick great games that are much more, you know, about strategy, which tends to be the ones my son likes. But the majority of them are these shooter games. And, you know, my son would say, hey, we're killing aliens, men and women. You know, we're killing everyone. So, you know, we're not picking out women. But I think there is, um, in my view, just a culture not only around video games, but in videos. I mean, talk about something pop right now is the whole blurred line video and Miley Cyrus and all of that. So there's just the amount of violence in our culture, the amount of uh, rape and just chanting and what's, what's appropriate and inappropriate in social media and video games. I think it's all swirling together to make it a really challenging environment to be a kid. It's. Uh, I think it's making it a challenging environment to be human beings because yeah. even as adults, um, as adult women um, and adult men, you know, we become desensitized in some levels around the impact that all of this has on us and then trying to reconcile the entertainment component with the real life experience of women and girls that are facing these types of horrors and atrocities and that there's actual gaming and associated with it. Um, I, I, I think that it's going to come to the forefront um, very quickly here eventually and that what Anika shared last year um, was just the tip of the iceberg, I think, in terms of what we'll start to see happen. Uh, Jackie, you know, a couple more questions um, that I want to ask before we close this segment of our broadcast with you is, you know, talk to us about women funding women and girls and the significance of communities such as Women Moving Millions. That's how you and I met. And it's such an incredible um, sisterhood for me, especially for a woman like myself who um, grew up really more comfortable in an environment surrounded by such loving, supportive men and not always um, that kind of experience with women. And then in my 50s to, to land in this warm community of women and women supporting women and girls globally is it's so unique. And I think our audience should understand the significance of women funding women and girls in communities such as Women Moving Millions, of which you're the CEO. 
Well, thank you. Yes, you know, I feel like, and I know so many women like you and me sort of have said this, is that you being part of a community of women that are really prioritizing women and girls in their philanthropic efforts is like finding your tribe. Mm. Uh, and that's how I feel with Women Moving Millions. I mean, when I, when I heard about it, when I left Goldman, I sort of started this journey in philanthropy and, and the issue of women's leadership and women's empowerment. Uh, you know, I can trace it back way, way back. But I also think working on Wall Street where there were so few women, I, I was always left with the question of why. And even though we had a great sisterhood at Goldman in terms of not only the partnership, um, the women that were partners, even though we were few or far between, we really found each other. And starting some of the first women's networks, we, we, we found that being in critical mass elevated our presence and our voice. And um, it became less about, okay, there's one woman complaining or doing something. Now we're a force that we're coming together with ideas and solutions. And in many ways, that's the idea behind Women Moving Millions. It was started by two amazing sisters, Helen Kelly and Swanee Hunt, in partnership with Chris Grum, who was then president of the Women's Funding Network. And it came out of Helen's research that women were not, um, even though a lot of women were making huge gifts to universities and to hospitals and all of that is wonderful, there were very few million-dollar gifts to women and girls organizations, and in particular, grassroots organizations that fund women and girls, I would say at the grassroots level. Um, those include you know, a lot of women's foundations in the world, a lot of women's rights organizations, very, very few million dollar gifts. So this initiative was born to really encourage women to think about prioritizing women and girls in their funding and falling back on what's now an incredible amount of research that really points to, to gender inequality as the issue that underlies so many other issues. And certainly now it's become uh, very popular in many ways because of Half the Sky, because of Girls Rising, because of so many of these films and books that have really highlighted the impact of, of what happens when you invest in a girl and women in terms of their rights, their education, their health, their economic opportunities. And thus our community is really one that is advocating for prioritization of women and girls and their funding and convening and sharing knowledge so that we use those resources in the most effective way possible. What's the most commonly misunderstood um, information or impression about Women Moving Millions that you find that you and other members like myself have to clarify? Well, I think it's two things. I mean, one is sort of the idea that money is coming to us or through us and that we are a foundation that makes grants, and that is not what we are. We are a community for individuals who have made commitments of a million or more to organizations of their choice. So there's that misconception that, oh, you are a foundation like Ford or Rockefeller or Novo or any of these, and we are not a foundation. We are primarily a community that tries to leverage that collective power and influence to champion more resources um, to be given with a gender lens. And I think the other kind of misconception is sort of this idea of, well, it's sort of twofold. Why do we need another organization, maybe one? And, huh, are you just a bunch of, you know, wealthy women that get together and, you know, go hang out at spas or something? Like, is this a club for rich women? And I think uh, that's, a, that's a challenge because, yes, we are, part, you know, women who have significant resources, but why we come together is 
for the purpose of advancing women and girls globally. And that really is our focus, is learning from one another, working together, coming up with innovative ideas together with, you know, the grantee partners that we fund to try to advance women's philanthropy in a way that's never been done before. And, in fact, we are making history. Jackie, the WMM, or Women Moving Millions, summit is coming up soon. What are the highlights of that summit that will have impact beyond the WMM community and the, the summit that day that we'll be able to see go forth into the world? Yeah. At least what's your vision for what you'd like to see happen? Well, this is so exciting because Women Moving Millions, as mentioned, started as a campaign to encourage million-dollar gifts, and now we are a very active, um, in fact, global community with a much bigger mission and purpose to mobilize unprecedented resources for the advancement of women and girls. So this is really, uh, we kind of got out of the gate only a year ago. I can't even believe it. So this yeah, is I can't believe it either. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it feels like forever ago. And we've been meeting and planning for a long time, but we really are only out of the gate for a year. So now it feels like our feet are on the ground. We have a, you know, a plan. We have an organization. And this summit will really mark something important. And that is that we made the theme of this year's summit impact. And the word impact is, is really charged. In fact, we had, and we're going to be releasing this uh, next week, we had a group from the Center for High Impact Philanthropy as a conversation starter for this summit to do uh, an analysis of what, what, what the heck do we mean when we talk about impact. And the reality is we use it a lot, but it has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people in the world of philanthropy. So with that being the theme of this conference, we're going to sort of kick it off with a real conversation uh, with our wonderful attendees, about 75 members and, and potential members, to ask them how do they think about impact. And then uh, we will be kicking off a report that we're doing in partnership with a research organization called the Dahlberg Group that will, in fact, over the next six months, really look at the impact of women's philanthropy, perhaps for the first time, and we're defining that term in our particular context as women funding women, big and bold. Has anything like that ever been done? Not that we're aware of. I mean, I'm on the advisory board to Indiana University Women's Philanthropic Institute, which is perhaps the most noteworthy organization right. that's focused on women's philanthropy. So they do. Actually, big day, September 12th, uh, might be the 13th, they're coming out with their Women Give Report 2013. So be on the watch for that. That will be coming out in the next day or two. So they've done a tremendous amount of research on women in philanthropy and I would say are the hub um, for that, particularly in the U.S. But not, nothing like this that we know of. There have been some great books that have been written, Women in Philanthropy, an outstanding book by Sandra Hardy. Hardy. So there's been books, there's been some studies, but nothing uh, with the intentionality to focus on impact like we want to do. Jackie, when your daughter, who you said is currently 13, when she's your age and an active member of Women Moving Millions, mm -hmm. what would you like to be able to to see or look back on and reference as, you know, success? That while we've we've filled in this gap, we've been successful between our generation and your daughter's generation by accomplishing fill in the blank for us. 
gosh, again, that's such a big question. You know, I, you know, I, I love you, and I, I don't yeah, get to sit down and talk with you very hard. often, so i got to ask you all the things I can think of in a short span of time yeah, that really reveal to the audience, you know, what you know, who we are and what we're about and why you and I are so connected and why Sylvia Global exists, you know, to get this message out to the world. So, you know, fill in the gap for us. Fill in that blank for us. What yeah, and I and I... I guess I'll connect it to something that happened this morning that left my hair on fire. Uh, so what left my hair on fire is there's, uh, this woman wrote an article on LinkedIn, Rachel Scalar, about there being yet another conference where there were no women where, you know, in the technology space. And she wrote a kind of a sassy article on LinkedIn about, like, are you saying there's no women in technology? And... And, and it, she was, you know, she's annoyed and she's wonderful. She started an organization called Change the Ratio, which really is, um, again, very much aligned about changing the ratio of men and women in, you know, in leadership and technology, you name it. And so there's been a lot of comments. And this one gentleman posted a comment about, oh, you know, you, you're painting another. I'm sick of hearing about sort of women's rights and women aren't being fairly treated. And, you know, you're all blah, blah, blah. And I posted a comment back saying, you know, do you really? there's not bias still in our society and very respectful comment. And he came back, you know, just chewing me out and, and literally I think ended with shame on you, Jackie Zayner. <laughs> and you know, I know, I know, trust me, I've gotten worse as a writer on a lot of platforms that, you know, I could quote some things that literally made me cry. Um, but my point is in the change I want to see in the world is I am championing women and girls. I'm not championing me. I'm a very blessed, blessed person that's had incredible access and opportunity. Yeah, I was sexually harassed. Yeah, I was that, whatever. But I overcame it. But I want to be a voice to women who don't have the voice. And until they have it, I will not stop doing what I'm doing. So the change that I hope happens is where we don't see a world, you know, where the, we eliminate bias, where it really is a world of access and opportunity. Um, and that when women are not more likely, I don't want anyone to be poor, but are less likely to be poor, where one in four women don't experience rape or sexual assault in their lifetime, where girls have the same access and opportunities for education as boys do, where we're not, you know, we're not marrying them off at 13, you know, respectful of cultural differences. You know, so I hope in 30 years that we will have raised a generation of kids that don't see black and white, don't see male, female, that have much more of a humanist perspective, and they don't go out bashing down people when they stand up for others and others' rights. And, you know, that's just, and I think our kids are becoming that. I think they're much less sensitive um, as we are, um, but the fact is there's still, tr you know, as we know, tremendous amounts of, of bias in the world, and it's just, it's heartbreaking, and I just, I just, 30 years from now, I just hope she's fighting to eliminate poverty and create a more peaceful world. But it, the idea, of, it, particularly for me, about gender issues is not so charged and there's not so much fear and loathing that go around this idea that men and women deserve equal access and opportunity. Well, I also hope, Jackie, that even sooner than that, that within our society we can begin to see more civil discourse yeah. and being able to um, be respectful, I think, in reincorporating just that word respect 
and the ability to agree to disagree and to still be respectful of one another's opinions without having to um, set women's hairs on fire. Jackie Zayner, thank you so much for being here with us on Sylvia Global. We look forward to having you back many times. We have a number of conversations coming up that we know are near and dear to your heart and also wanting to highlight um, grantees that are the beneficiaries of where you've put your time and your passions along with your talents. Thanks so much. Yes, Gail, Sylvia, thank you for all you do and being an endless champion. It's, uh, more, it's great to be a friend. Yeah, oh, it's wonderful, Jackie, to know you. Uh, Jackie Zayner, tell our audience where they can connect with you, your website address, and it, those who would like to have you come as a speaker to their organization, how they can go about doing that. Oh, thank you. Well, Women Moving Millions, pretty easy Google, womenmovingmillions.org. And over time, it's going to be a much more than sort of an online brochure, but a very dynamic site around women's philanthropy. And then more personally, it's JackieZaner.com, J-A-C-K-I-Z-E-H-N-E-R.com. And that's sort of my personal platform in terms of sharing resources. I have incredible resources, reports, and facts on women and girls as well as uh, my own blog. I think I'm on my about 625th blog. Are you serious? Sort of my life story. I know. Isn't that crazy? Is that what wakes so, up in the middle of the night? Yeah. And then, <laughs> I know, it's, it's kind of crazy. But, you know, it's my way to share um, and lift up so many people and organizations and ideas that I'm just so blessed to have some sort of affiliation with. So join me on JackieZaner.com. Thank you so much, Jackie. Take care, and you can learn more about Jackie Zayner also here at sylviaglobal.com, and watch her TED Talk from last December. Absolutely phenomenal. Have a good day, Jackie. See you later. Thank you, Gail Sylvia. Okay, love you. Love you, too. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City.